This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with MongoDB CISO, Lena Smart. Lena, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Tom. It's lovely to be here. So you mentioned I'm the CISO at MongoDB. We're the leading modern general purpose database platform. I've built many security teams from scratch, and I really enjoy creating and just maturing security programs that are both budget conscious, because that's a requirement, uh, but also innovative. So doing less with more, I think, is the common phrase over here. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you said there you've got a, a long experience building and innovating in security teams. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming the CISO of MongoDB? So it probably wasn't the usual journey, especially with folks over here where their college degree is very, very important. I left school when I was 16 on my 16th birthday. I used to say I was self-taught, but that's kind of a misnomer because no one is fully self-taught. I had mentors and helpers who kind of stood up and saw that I had a real interest in computers just when they were even first out. I still remember I was a secretary and somebody gave me an IBM PS2 and I'm like, this is for me. I can do this. Learning how to use a mouse, and I ended up teaching all the other secretaries how to use WordPerfect, which was the uh, the word processing tool of the day. And then just from there, I, I grew more into the security side, just by happenstance. Nobody else wanted to know anything about it. Security wasn't a big thing, you know, twenty years ago. We knew that the internet was out there; it was big, and we had to kind of start to protect ourselves against it. But I mean, I still remember when I worked at the Power Authority and. We had just got onto the internet and this was, you know, literally 20, 22 years ago, maybe 23 years. And at night I would go and unplug the ISDN cable to keep us secure. That was it. <laughs> it was mental thinking about it. Air um, gapping before before it was uh, before it was Exactly. And then we, you know, we put our firewall in and and just you know, we really grew up very, very quickly. It was definitely a baptism by fire. So I was a CIO and CISO at the the Power Authority. So that was like the US's largest state power organization. I then moved into FinTech about six years ago, worked at TradeWeb. I had a friend who worked there and he said, hey, we're looking for our first CISO. Do you want to come over? And I was the first CISO at NIPA. And I thought, I'm never going to get the chance to do it again. And then TradeWeb popped up and said, hey, we need a CISO and we've never had one. Like, okay, that sounds like fun. And so I spent about three years there and then MongoDB approached me just three years into my tenure and said, hey, we're looking for our first CISO. I was like, oh, this, okay, I can't pass up this opportunity of doing it again because I just, I love having the freedom of going into a job where no one's had it before. So there's no preconceptions, you know, there's not like, well, Bob used to do it like this. So why are you not doing it like this? It's like, it's all new, you know, 
working at MongoDB, I have an amazing relationship with our, our CEO. I report directly into the COO and CFO, Michael Gordon. He wears both those hats. And, you know, I have kind of a dotted line into Mark Porter, who's our amazing CTO. And so just having the support of all of the C-suite, you know, including our head of sales and head of product, it's just, it's such a stellar team we've put together. And I interviewed with most of these people, obviously Mark Porter wasn't the CTO at the time, but Mark had joined our board, I think shortly after I joined the company. And then he ended up becoming our CTO when Elliot left. And I was just so impressed with the caliber of folks who were interviewing me that I thought, I really can't pass this up. This is just an amazing opportunity to, again, build a world-class security team. And they had excellent security in place. It just wasn't under that one umbrella. Nice. And I think like you've clearly seen, like it's clear that MongoDB takes security very, very seriously, but you've seen that evolution in real time from a security as not like a secondary function, but something that was like critical to power systems to something that's now like front of mind for CEOs, for CTOs, for everybody in the organization and like a real board level topic. Having said that, cybersecurity operations has evolved a lot. How do you see the state of cybersecurity operations today? So obviously, as you mentioned, I've seen these things evolve over 25 years. Uh, The first SOC that I ever set up was for the Powered Authority, and we'd worked with a third party to set up. It's like the old eyes on glass model. You had a bunch of people sitting usually in a control room somewhere in, I don't know, Florida, and... You know, they'd be watching all this intel come in and then they would do the inverse pyramid where they would see five million things and we'd see maybe four things. And that worked for us at the time because it was doable. It was containable. But as we've all seen, the evolution and the change has just been sweeping and extremely fast. And I felt that what we were doing was just more of that compliance tick box. And we saw more and more regulations coming into play And I felt that a more granular focus was needed. And we also had to bring some of that focus in-house instead of relying on that third party so much. And as we grew and as we matured, and when I moved over into the fintech world, I saw that things like red teaming was becoming more prevalent. We were hacking ourselves and eating our own dog food, as they say over here, and engaging some of those third parties to poke holes in our own security fabric. And I thought that was That was kind of interesting because it used to only be third parties. And now, you know, my team, we are basically hacking ourselves inside, which is, it's a good, it's a good model to to grow. But now I think, and especially in the past couple of years, we've seen the security world just undergo this seismic shift. You know, if you'd said to me three years ago, 100% of your team will be working from home, you will see absolutely no decrease in productivity. In fact, you'll see an increase in productivity because people are no longer commuting an hour and a half, two hours, three hours a day in some cases. They're getting that time back. And I think it's important. Obviously, the pandemic has been horrendous. And I think that a lot of companies like MongoDB, we had prepared to have people working from home And we've evolved to, I wouldn't say embrace it because we're still kind of working on what is our our long-term prognosis for for people working from home. But I think in terms of my group, we've been given the freedom and the autonomy to set our own path and set our own goals. And so we've done that in terms of the work from home model. And my view is if you want to work from home, you get your job done in the time that's given and we still achieve all all of our goals and our planned work plan. 
go for it. You know, wh- why would I drag someone in to, to sit in an office and be on Zoom calls with 90%? I mean, of the time, what is the point? Yeah, 100% right. I think you were probably a little bit ahead of your time in treating BCPD or as something that was actually had to be looked at rather than a compliance function. But definitely, um, COVID has, yeah, COVID has outlined just how important that is, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned like being, being prescient and I'm not saying that I am, but we do a lot of tabletop exercises. One of the last tabletops we did was just before the pandemic it was literally a month before and it was we didn't call it a pandemic we said say everybody in new york is sick say something happens in new york and we're all sick and so we had already worked out that we had the bandwidth to support this that we had the infrastructure to support this that hopefully we would have the people to support it but again with my power background we'd gone through hurricane sandy and the last to be honest, the last thing people are thinking about when you're in the middle of a hurricane is, oh, how's my job doing? It's Is my family alive? And so we had to bring that lens into this as well. If there was going to be a pandemic or somewhere where everyone in New York was sick, could other people in other countries help us? And I think with that model and the way that we engaged our employees very quickly when the pandemic first hit to have a voice and also be heard made us see, okay, we can put some of our operations here we can put some of our operations in Dublin oh Dublin's getting hit they're now like a tier one okay we're going to move some stuff to the US so you know we were very able to pivot quite quickly where we had to but again this was just I would never want to go through this ever again obviously not yeah and I think in those circumstances communicating and listening is absolutely critical for your employees and making sure that their yeah that their voice is heard kind of I suppose along those lines COVID was obviously a big hit to the world, but obviously to people's mental health as well. And I think I've heard you say that you love your job and it's fantastic. And it also shows with your team as well. They clearly, uh, that they clearly love working with you. But like for a security team, there's constant incidents. For a leader, there's constant incidents and constant pressure as well. I suppose what do you do? A major issue here is like, is analyst and uh, security teams burnout and mental health. At MongoDB, what do you do to address those concerns for, for you and for your security team? So for me personally, I surround myself with very, very smart people. So I have a deputy CISO. His name is Chris Sandolo. I can't say enough good things about him and the team that he's put together. And then I'm also responsible for governance, risk and compliance. And Anya Kowalczyk is head of that. Again, super smart person. And I've seen other people surround themselves with maybe not so smart people because they think that makes them look clever and I think the opposite is true I think the smarter the people are around me the better they make me look and you know sometimes this job is is a wee bit of you know how shiny are you how good are you and the team that I've I've assembled with the help of Chris and Anya is world-class I mean there's just no way around that they're absolutely brilliant and I'm very conscious of that fact and the fact that any one of them including me could walk out tomorrow and, and, and find another job if we wanted to. So we have to make MongoDB an attractive place to work. And one of the big things that I do, and this this is probably an anathema to some people, but make sure people take time off. They have to take time off. And if people are going to be off, be off. Like turn your iPhone off, be unavailable. You know, put your out of office on your email, put your Slack notice, stop, you know, or pause notifications and just let people know that you're not available. And that's much easier to handle than, oh, so-and-so's got his out of office on, but he just responded to my email. So he must be in the office. I'm just going to email him now. 
And that's frustrating on both levels because the person looking for help might not get it quick enough because, you know, Jim is actually off. And then Jim's getting frustrated because, well, you know, so-and-so is emailing him and he just he really should respond. So I'm trying to get the message across to my team. And trust me, I'm the biggest hypocrite. Yeah. Um, but I am trying to get the message across to my team that if you're off, you're off. Don't tell me you're taking Thursday off to watch Netflix and then be available, you know, because I'll get annoyed. And that's that's definitely starting to permeate through the team. And just to kind of make the point, I get a report every month from HR that shows me who has taken what time off. And I will phone people nice. who's not taking time off and say, you've got, and I mean, this is in the, the US, they have unlimited paid time off and no one takes advantage of it. You know, they, they, they don't take advantage of me with that program. They're not taking like months and months off. But what I'm trying to get people to understand is that if you've had a busy week, take the Monday off. You know, if you if you just can't face coming in on the Monday morning because you've had a hell of a weekend, take the day off. We will, you know, MongoDB isn't going to stop. No one's going to quit just because you're not available for a day. And so that that report's actually quite helpful because the whole team know that I get that report and they know that I look at it. And so they don't want to be on the, like, you know, they're highlighted in red for having no time off for three months. So... I will personally phone them and say, you you really need to take a couple of days off just to help, you know, get your head back in the right space. We also have a whole bunch of HR programs that help with mental health. We've got family support, flexible paid time off. We've got a whole bunch of employee affinity groups, um, including underrepresented genders in tech, MDB Women, which I'm one of the major sponsors of. We have a book club for women as well. And then for the, the mental health and well-being groups, we've got an employee assistance program, which is global. And then we also have an app called Headspace, which is like a mindfulness and meditation yeah. app. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first person to put my hands up. I did try yoga once and I got so bored. I worked out how to speed up the DVD because I was just bored doing it. And so I've never done it ever again. <laughs> I just, I, my way of reducing stress is I play my cello, which you need to be in the right mind space to play a musical instrument or I go out for a run. And again, listening to music or listening to a podcast is just, you have to concentrate on something other than what's worrying you. So I love it. And I love that. Yeah, I love that to a certain extent that you're living it as well, because it does feel that like it's pretty hard to, you know, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking louder than your words here. But in the like in the financial sector, you're forced to take two weeks off so that you can check to make sure that uh, you're not rigging any of the the systems it feels right. it's the same in security that like well for a few different reasons obviously but if you take that time off that's the time that you really know do i have a process or do i have one person that's like holding a lot of the processes together and um, right. but for me it's also that in relation to what you said on like forcing people like you know that you get that email on a thursday Cybersecurity sometimes feels like it's a it's a vocation where like you don't want to hear that your team are in trouble you don't want to hear that you know they're struggling with something so you're like of course i want to jump in of course i want to help of course i want to enable you and a lot of the time obviously if there's a serious incident you will be called in but it yeah. still feels that it's really hard to uh yeah sometimes feels that it's hard to hard to drop if you've built that team that really want to support each other as well well i think as well with the balance though of making sure that people are taking time off i then can call on them like for example over the past weekend we've been on call 24 7 because of the situation in the ukraine and you know my heart goes out to the ukrainian people and we are Obviously, everyone's on high alert. We're, we're getting messages from the FBI and from CISA and the DHS and also our counterparts in the UK and the Five Eyes members. And 
we very quickly set up a 24 by 7 rota. You know, here's what we're watching. We're watching our perimeters. We're just making sure that things look copacetic. If we didn't have a team that supported each other and didn't take time off, people would really resent that. Whereas we had people signing up, like, show me where to sign up. Like, you know, I want to do this. I want to help the company. And that to me is rare. You know, I'm, I'm talking to some of my peers who are like, how are you getting your staff to work overnight? And it's like, because we've got this model where if you're going to work seven hours or eight hours to help the company on a Sunday, I'm going to give you two or three days off so that you can relax and kick back when, you know, when we bring DEFCON level down again to a reasonable number. Yep, absolutely. It's really important to passionately care about about making sure that your team are uh, well and able to do able to do the work, but also like yeah, personally, yeah, personally have well. One of the, the the other challenges is for keeping a team happy and keeping a team like productive. It's also working on uh, like preventing them just from doing the same work over and over again, keeping it interesting. Yeah. I suppose how do you like security is plagued with you know too many alerts and manual work. How do you overcome some of that or deal with that challenge in MongoDB? But one word, automation. I mean, this is, and this is a shameless plug for times, but we love you guys. Um, this is where you come in. The no-code automation for my team is a massive benefit. I actually sent them a note on Slack just before I was going to do this and said, you know, give me some buzzwords for times. And it was just positive adjectives everywhere. So I'm not going to tell you too much because your head will get too big. But there's just, there's not this massive learning curve that, you know, the team sets up the workflows using the actions. You know, we love that. There's only seven action types because a lot of the tools, and I'm sure you can attest to this, a lot of the tools that we've used over the years, they're so complex and there's so many moving parts to them. And what you get from at the end of the day, the same intel, the same information, the same single pane of glass. And so we're just looking for easy to use, automation, something that just makes the teams happy to work with. I, I don't need them with a learning curve of three months, you know, to go learn a new language and develop in it. It's like, no, no code automation. That's that's just mana for me. Thank you for the shameless <laughs> plug. I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. But yeah, the, I think your team are, yeah, they're doing some fantastic work and we've had a lot of fun working with them. I suppose another thing that, that's related to keeping the team happy though, that's incredibly impressive is that you've managed to have a 50% of your team, like diverse 50% of your team are women. What advice do you have on like for other security leaders? This is something that like everybody in the security world seems to be struggling with. So it's clear we need to start as an industry addressing that. And I think we're, we're doing something towards that. But what advice do you have for other security leaders and how to, how to build a more diverse team? So speaking from experience as a woman in tech, and it's like a niche within a niche because you've got women in tech, women in tech and cyber, women in tech and cyber who are CISOs. And it's like, I don't know, there's not many of us. And I think the women CISOs that I've met are amazing. I mean, they're they're strong women. They've They've had to put up with a lot of stuff to get what they've got. But I think we also remember that we have to work with all types of folks. But the big thing that women do, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, is when you look for a job on a board, me as a woman, I need to be like 90% to 95% qualified before I'll even think about it. Now, I said earlier that MongoDB had approached me. They basically, you know, they were headhunting me, for want of a better word. And my imposter syndrome immediately kicked in anyway. I'm like, wait, why do they want me? No. Well, it must be because they can't get anybody else. And it was, I mean, it was ridiculous at the end of the day when I was thinking it through, but that kicked in really quickly. And so what I'm trying here, and I think what's worked for us at MongoDB is I look at the job descriptions for the security team before they go on the board. And I'm thinking, would I apply for that? Are we making this just too granular, too persnickety, 
too much of, you need 15 years experience and a PhD in crypto. It's like, no, you don't. You're going to be answering the phone and working on a help desk. Give me a break. So I think we need to make the jobs more accessible, just more accessible to women and people who identify as women. Offer work from home, offer flexible time off. If you've got 24 hours in a day, if you can work 10 till 12 and then you have to go pick up your kids and then you can work in the evening or you work all in the morning and take the afternoon off, I don't care. As long as the job gets done, I don't care when you're doing that job within that time frame. We give family assistance. As I mentioned, we've got a whole bunch of HR programs here to actually help families make sure they have the assistance that they need. But I think the biggest thing really is using your own peer groups, um, your LinkedIn contacts to advertise roles. Don't just put it on, you know, monster.com or your careers page on MongoDB. You know, all of us know people who are looking for work in one way or another. You know, someone's cousin who's looking for a job. And I think as well, when when women outside of the industry see women leaders like myself, they're like, oh, well, if she can do it, there's maybe a decent chance I could do it. I'm going to give it a go. And so I think it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. You know, you put mm-hmm. a woman in charge, more women are going to come to that person because, you know, it's a trust thing as well. But then we also have our Security Champions program, which is an internal program where we've got over 90, 90 volunteers. And out of that program, we have, I think, recently just hired three or four women into cybersecurity roles because they know the culture. They are advocates for their own working groups. And it's easier for me to teach them security than it is to teach them the cultural values of MongoDB. So yep. we definitely use that too. It's such an important program as well. It's uh, like, I know a lot of people, and you've talked about this, so a lot of people think of, you know, uh, the security team as separate from the rest of the company, that they're almost the team of no. Whereas in reality, if you use your employees right, they can be the team to enable enable security across the organization, give you that like warning light or that early warning signal that something's going oh, on. Yeah, they are, you know, canaries in the mine. I mean, when we are doing a phishing test, we will bring the security champions into it and say, do you think this would be a good phishing test? And we've had some corkers from these folks. They're like, they're like, nobody would fall for this, but if you just tweak this and then we then we have people fall for it. But then we're not we're not losing the trust of our employees because our employees know that we're using the security champions who are embedded advocates to help with the program. So it's always kind of keeping that level of trust very high between my team and the rest of the employees. Because if you lose that trust, you've lost your team and you've lost your program. Yeah, I, absolutely. And like one of the things that we try to encourage is some like cybersecurity is very rarely seen as that that innovative team, right? They're hardly ever seen as that team that like enables the business or that shares good news. Most of the time when people hear from a CISO, it's it's bad news. I remember in one of my previous roles, we um yeah, we had we had lots of incidents, but we had a lot of people that were like clicking on uh clicking on phishing links as a lot of people do. But we had one uh, we encouraged people to report everything to like a spam mailbox uh, where you could you know process those reports. But we had one incident where somebody reported that they clicked the link and we investigated and we said, okay, well, when we blocked their account, but then we did a further investigation and this person was an executive assistant, but three other executive assistants had, I think five others had received it, three others had clicked the link and two of those had entered credentials. But the fact that we were able to like lock their accounts, we were able to like an hour later see two failed login attempts from, I think it was Egypt. But the fact that that one person had reported that mail actually saved us from like a, a P1 incident where we would have had to go out and inform some people and say like, hey, 
you know, your your data has been compromised. But we were able to use that as a as a win, right? As a, like a hey, this person actually saved the reputation of our company a little bit, yeah. and it's uh, it's really nice to really nice to hear. That's that. really important. I mean, I know in the olden days, like in, in DefCon and stuff, when I used to go over there, there was like the wall of sheep and the wall of shame. Yeah. Name and shame people, and I remember I the company will remain nameless, but it was a, a company that I was just helping out, and the board had said to me, you know, I think we should name the people who are clicking on all these emails. If they click on it three times, they should be named. And I said, okay, one of them's in this room just now. Would you like me to point him out to you? And they're like, no, it's okay. On to the next thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are times like there are times that you'd be like, what? I can't believe. But at the same time, if you start shaming people, that's the time that they will not report. That's the time that they won't admit to anything that they'll clam up when you say, do you remember uh, like, do you remember installing this software? And they'll say no. And then you're like, well, either you did and then it's kind of okay, or you didn't, in which case there's a much more serious issue going on here that somebody's. So it's really, uh, it's really hard. But yeah, having said that, I've, you know, I have seen some yeah, some clangers, but we'll uh, we'll we'll move uh, move <laughs> past uh, past uh, past those. So I think there's a few other things that I kind of wanted to talk about. One is, I suppose, related to those really fast growing technology companies that are in similar shoes to you. So MongoDB has seen like a huge amount of growth over the last few years, and you'd be incredibly successful. But like, there's a lot of other people that are in your shoes or are looking to be in your shoes and and grow fast. What's some of the advice that you can give, you know, another CISO or another director of security operations or somebody that's in in compliance that's like starting out? Like some advice that you'd share to those people that are just starting out in uh, in building that security program that you built in a, in TradeWeb and in MongoDB. The number one piece of advice is don't get overwhelmed. I've seen so many CISOs fail, and I hate seeing that because they will start their job and they might again be the first CISO that, you know, that I've done that. And here's their hundred day plan and they're going to change the entire world. They're going to employ 50 people and they're going to spend $10 million and solve every problem. And it's like, no, you're not. You're going to flounder about for 90 days and then spend the last 10 days looking for a new job. And just, it's like, you know, that saying, how do you eat an elephant one chunk at a time? It's so true. It's like, understand your attack vectors, understand what your crown jewels are. What are you here to protect? We are here as a data company and a database company to protect our customer data, nothing else. When I worked at the Power Authority, it was keeping the lights on. When I worked in FinTech, it was making sure that Wall Street could function because we were the biggest clearinghouse. It's understand what your reason for living within that company is and then act accordingly. You know, that one size doesn't fit all and you're going to really have to understand where you fit into the ecosystem of this company, especially if they've never had a CISO because they'll be looking to you as the expert in, you know, we've done this, this is lessons learned. You know, I'll be the first person to tell you about my failures and there's been many of them, but learn from them. Don't keep repeating them. And I think it's just really important that you understand that everyone makes mistakes. You just admit to them and you move on and you move forward. And with the exception of working in a power company, it's highly unlikely that someone will die if you make a mistake. Um, And I say that very cautiously because obviously there are jobs like in the power grid where people could die if you made a mistake. But by and large, what we do is technology-based. It's not people-based but just to have an understanding of what your role is and have a very, very clear 
pathway of how you're going to get to what you think success look like. I think, yeah, this is how I'm going to get those 100 days in order to like deliver this plan. And then that's it. We'll be secure. It's, I remember very when I was very young in my career, we had a, had a very big incident in, in eBay. And I was talking to a, a former colleague and they told me like, yeah, it's, you know, this is going to happen. And I was like, but no, we just like, we got breached. And they were like, yep, everybody's going to get breached at one point. And that was one of those, wait, really? Okay. Moments that was, uh, that was hard. But I think for those new people that are starting, it's like, kind of, as you said, it's like, yeah, managing expectations saying, I'm not going to, like, there's no such thing as secure. There's securing, getting better. But also that every single thing you do, every tool you put in place will make you one, two, five percent better. But it's never going to get you to be, you know, like a hundred percent secure. So it's really, really uh, hard. To, yeah, it's really hard to do that. And you have to weigh up those balances and weigh up those, yeah, weigh up those risks. And, and you have to be honest, you know, what, what you were talking about a wee while ago about, about people just having trust and, you know, not being shamed. It's yeah. the same as being a CISO. If you do something wrong, just fess up to it really, really quickly. We all make mistakes. Yeah. And if you're going to work for a company that's going to fire you after you make one mistake, you don't want to be working for that company anyway, because they've not, you know, they've not got the right idea. So yep. there's a, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of companies like that. The average tenure of a CISO is not as not as long as it should be, and they are scapegoated. Yeah, a lot. So I think as well for new CISOs and for people who are just starting out is build that network. I've been really bad at building networks. I've only really started in the past five years or so, just because I'm not an extrovert. I, I am outside my comfort zone talking on this podcast, for example. And a lot of people in security are like me. We just, we sit in our caves and we, we keep things secure and we have our team of people around us that we trust. And, you know, I, I love my team to bits. I, I cannot believe that I'm managing the team that I've got. But, Outside of that group, sometimes it's really hard just to get the word out and get your message out. And for me, you've been able to talk to the board the way that I do is amazing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mentioned Tom Killalay is on our board and I spoke to him on Monday. And to have that one-on-one relationship with the chairman of a board at a tech company is just so eye-opening for me. And it just shows, again, that level of trust between the C-suite and the board and I use our board as a sounding board. That's, you know, that's what they're there mm-hmm. for. And just the level of integration that we have in terms of what they give and what we receive is just amazing. It really is. And I would say to anyone new, you know, don't be scared of talking to your board members. They have experience. They have decades of experience over you. You know, go talk to them or talk to your bosses or talk to other CISOs who are happy to share their war stories, but learn from them. Don't be like, I'm a CISO now, everything's going to be amazing. You're going to have awful days. We all do. We just get over it. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And like the, those awful days, those headline days, they're never fun to deal with. And that's when the board like kind of show their true value where they do understand like, okay, this is a, you know, this is how it happens. This is how we deal with it. This is, and for a lot of people that are in those positions, your analysts, your engineers, it's also the time that you kind of learn the most in your career, right? It's like what you've trained for. It's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, it's a horrible, horrible day, week, month, couple of months. But at the same time, it's the time that you're able to say like, actually, this is, you know, this is why I took that sans course for ten thousand dollars that at uh, that time. This is why I am, um, yeah. This is why I follow all these people on Twitter. That all of a sudden I know I know what's uh, what's going on. I'm, I'm able to show that. Um, show that also, yeah, I mean, like you've just reminded me as well. You know, I said that we do a lot of these these tabletop exercises, and it's not just the big yeah. ones where we bring members of the board and the C-suite in and say this is your rules and responsibilities. It's smaller breakout groups as well that we have. 
And I think just being prepared for the worst means that, yeah, it's still going to be horrible, but you're going to get through it. And you know it's at the end of the tunnel. You know who you phone. You know when you contact legal. You know when you set up the private Slack channel for the discussion. It's like, again, when I worked in the power industry, we had red books. So we had books in the control rooms that if something went wrong, you took the book out. And just even the act of knowing where to look for information was calming because you knew that you had to go into the room and look for the book and open the book and go to chapter five. And it's like, all right, I'm good now. You know, I don't feel like throwing up anymore. And just having that and having practiced that gives the sense of calm that people look for. If you're a CISO who's going to just be like, and I've seen them running about screaming like, oh my God, we're, you know, the world's ending. It's like, no, you shouldn't be in this job. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm like, I've, you know, made those phone, I have, have not been a CISO, but I certainly made those phone calls where it's like, hey, yeah, we've got a, we've got a P1. And it's that the reaction of like, okay, talk to me what's going on. It's like, okay, you know, we're on the same page against this rather than it's a, uh, you know, it's panic because panic doesn't help anybody. And on those lines, I think that when you're talking about tabletop exercises and you're talking about, you know, like getting everybody in the room, the debriefs are often really interesting as well. Because it's not just like, oftentimes, if I look back at some of the incidents that, I, that I've been involved in, I know where we made our mistakes, right? That you're like, actually, we definitely should have done this or this was a detection we didn't have. Yeah. But sometimes those tabletop exercises are really valuable because you're like, actually, we did this really well. And that's something we should probably be doubling down in. And, you know, the legal team added a ton of value to an area that we didn't even know about or, you know, our board did X, Y, and Z and we should have done this before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just really interesting looking back being like, actually, you know, the lessons learned don't just have to be negatives. There's a lot of, there can be a lot of positives. Yeah, that's and that's that's a really good point. I think sometimes, and um, we've both been in the room and we've done lessons learned, and it's just a finger pointing exercise. Yeah. It's embarrassing and it doesn't help anyone. And I've had to put a stop to some of those conversations. Not here, not at Moby. But what I try and do, as you say, is we double down on the good stuff. It's like here's communication was really good. We had X, Y, and Z, and everyone knew what they were meant to do, and that was amazing. But how can we make it better for next time? Yeah, and you, you people are like. Because you've praised them, they're not shying away. Whereas if I'd said, oh my God, you all sucked. I couldn't get hold of anyone for 17 minutes. It was Everyone's like, well, stuff her. I'm going to just go back to drinking my coffee and eating my cake. You know, it's like they're not interested. So yeah, you attract more, what's it the saying? You attract more flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> I've not heard that one, but it does, uh, it does make sense. And <laughs> um, I suppose you, you've spent a long time working in information security. You've been in, in your fair share of of incidents, you've also, you know, you've got a lot of experience that you're able to draw on from your peers, from the board. It's clear security operations is changing. Um, Where do you see security operations going? What do you think security operations teams will look like in a few years time? Well, I think, I think the pandemic, you know, good, bad or or ugly has definitely blown apart that we need to have all these people in one room looking at a bunch of screens. I think global distributed groups are, are now the norm with expertise in ransomware and risk management. I can ask any of my team now what's risk management and they can tell you what risk management is. Whereas a couple of years ago, people would be like, I have no idea, go ask the risk people. I also think that we're becoming more aware of attack surface because you can't protect what you don't know. So we're mm-hmm. definitely seeing more of an understanding of this is the crown jewels, this is what I'm protecting. I'm not just, you know, you're, you don't have that kind of myopic view of security anymore. I'm seeing a lot more information sharing, communication with peers. So obviously yeah. good contacts within the five eyes and over here specifically FBI Infraguard, DHS, CISA. We also, thanks to companies like yourself, like Times, 
we're having that automated continuous monitoring, but also readiness. You know, it's, it's fine having the continuous monitoring. If no one's looking at it or actioning it, you, all you've got is this fire hose of information and everyone's like, yeah, that's that's our amazing feed that's showing us what's going on. It's like, yeah, there's something bad just went past what you're doing about it. So it's being ready to do something as well. Also, what we're seeing is adversary profiling. So actually knowing your enemy. I don't want to go too deep into that, obviously, but it's we're having an understanding of if we do X, this is what could happen. So mm-hmm. much more of an understanding of, you know, geopolitical situations, for example. And then, I, and this is just my my little prophecy, I think we're going to see a, a revision or a revival of self-healing networks. I remember, oh, it must have been over 20 years ago now, uh, the CEO of GE standing up and saying to the, the entire power industry, power grid will be self-healing in 10 years. And we're like, yeah, you go for it, Jeff. And nope. Nothing is self-healing, not the power, not anything. But I think if we start harnessing all this power of this automated continuous monitoring and the readiness and the awareness and the profiling, I think the next step in my mind anyway would be, okay, how do we actually make these networks self-healing? Which can be a bad thing as well, because when you start putting automation in place that stops things from happening, if it stops the wrong thing from happening, that can have a really adverse business effect. So we need to be careful with that, but that's my uh, that's my prophecy. In five years from now, I'll be in a rocking chair or something, playing my cello and being a mad cat lady. <laughs> well, that's uh, not sure, not entirely sure. I believe that, uh, but certainly there's a lot of uh, there's yeah, there's a there's a huge amount of truth to your prophecies there. To some of your uh, some of your predictions, I think. Um, yes, it's very clear that we can't continue the way we're continue the way we're doing. I hope automation has a, a really important part to play in that. It has to have, because we can't keep throwing bodies and money at problems. We have to throw tech at it. And I think that your attitude and your or MongoDB's attitude of making sure that the people that are being, uh, you know, on the front lines are being treated correctly is obviously the uh, the way to do it. Lena, that's all I'm afraid we have time for today. Um, before we wrap up, if people want to follow your journey, keep up, learn a little bit more, is there any place they can go to, to check out? Uh, <laughs> as previously mentioned I'm not very good at this uh, I don't know I'm on LinkedIn you can go see me there uh, there's a couple of videos of me a little secret about myself I have never watched myself on video I have never heard myself talk on any podcast as I said my wonderful team they know this and they will listen for me and say you know they will give me some criticism but I'm not very good at taking criticism either <laughs> just why I don't watch myself uh, so yeah LinkedIn I guess is your best idea <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, thank you. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.